where my monster hunter's at. Take note. You don't have to search too far and too wide to discover a monster. They're everywhere and amongst us and within us. Sometimes what has been perceived as monstrous is actually an unconventional mode of humanity worth celebrating and saving. And other times monsters need to be faced and fought and vanquished for our own safety and well-being and survival. But we need to understand the monsters and we need to separate the good from the bad and reevaluate exactly what a monster is and who is one and who isn't. When fighting monsters, remember, all monsters are human, honey, and they're of our world, not beyond it. Sometimes that's for the better and other times, not. It's all about balance. As cheerful German nihilist Werner Herzog once said, what would an ocean be without a monster lurking in the dark? It would be like sleep without dreams. Quiet. He's not wrong. Six eyes, I got a goblin's brain that's driving me insane. And I don't like a ride, so push that nest aside. And baby, I won't care, cause baby, I don't scare. Cause I'm a reborn maggot using gym warfare. why or I'd stop asking them. Jeez. Good evening. Uh, come in, get comfortable, let your monstrous side out. Honey, I am a uh, spooky girl, Amy Roberts, and you're listening to episode number 22 of Comics Youth Presents Lockdown at the Disco, and this is the monster episode. Uh, we're going to rename ourselves Loch Ness at the Disco for this one. <laughs> Oh, we're so funny. Um, yeah, so this episode we're going to be dissecting what a monster truly is and by the same accounts what a human really is too and as the Tories prove time and time again all monsters really are human and remember if you work in the creative industries like we do then you can always retrain as a Tory and make billions of pounds by simply biting the heads off the poor and feasting on the miserable gory scraps of an impoverished country which is where we're at right now in it uh, and there are a few things scarier Anyway, this episode is part of our Halloween spooktacular this year, and as ever, it has been completely produced and curated with the much appreciated help of our fabulous and amazing Safe Spaces squad here at Comics Youth. 
Uh, if you're new to all of this and don't have a single clue what I'm on about, Comics Youth is a Liverpool-based youth organisation made by and for marginalised young people. Um, we do a whole bunch of creative workshops um, and projects where we make things like zines, comic books and blog posts. Um, and we develop like artwork and poetry, activism and other such valuable creative tools with which to fight back against this very, very not so nice or fair world, to put it politely. Um, and remember, you know, the people in power might hate the arts and not see the value in it because they're absolute morons um, who don't understand how the arts actually is the foundations of pretty much everything <laughs> like that we need in this world idiots um but comics youth does and always will see the value in the arts um and if you're a creative of any age feeling worn down and just completely devalued by the work of this government right now please keep tight hold of your spirits and of your skills because we need the arts and we need you more than ever keep on creating and don't let them dull your voice we will always find ways to platform and exhibit it um and to crush idiots like that you know under a great work of art um, now, this is our usual content disclaimer for the episode that while every effort is made to keep naughty, inappropriate language out of this podcast, uh, that occasionally some words do slip through in the odd song here or there. Um, some of this stuff that we'll be talking about this episode as well is maybe a little bit more mature too, um, in terms of talking about monsters and, uh, the symbolism of monsters, um, so may not be suitable for some younger listeners and parental discretion is advised. But now, I think it's about time that we get another monster groove on the go, don't you? All right, all right, let's do this. Uh, this is Dracula's Wedding by Outcast, featuring Khalees. You're all I've ever wanted, but I'm terrified of you. Seek my castle may be haunted, but I'm terrified of you. I've cast my spell on millions, but I'm terrified of you. Baby, I do this from the ceiling, but I'm terrified of you. I wait my whole life to bite the right one. Then you come along and that freaks me out So I'm frightened, ooh, Dracula's I never ran from no one, but I'm terrified of you See, my heartbeat is a slow one, but I'm terrified of you I've been around for ages, but I'm terrified of you Done my thing across the stage, but yet I'm terrified of you I wait my whole life to find the right one then you come along and that freaks me out So I'm frightened Dracula's wedding uh, You know I'm terrified oh, You know I'm terrified You know I'm
getting enough retribution or decent incentives to keep me at it. I'm starting to feel just a little abuse like a coffee machine in an office. Uh, so I'm gonna go somewhere closer to get me a lover and tell you about it. She-Wolf by my girl Shakira Shakira. So nice, they named her twice. Um, oh god, I'm sorry. Um, and that might be the greatest pop song ever written about lysanthropy. Um, you know, one of the only songs that I can think of that's uh, been in the charts in the past 20 years that actually features that word in a rhyme. <laughs> um, yeah. Good going, Shakira. Uh, and I strongly urge everyone to watch the music video for that song on YouTube uh, because it's been 84 years and I'm still trying to contort my body in the same way that Shakira does in that video. <laughs> you know, it's a good job this is uh, only an audio show because, uh, like, I am once again recording uh, this episode from my bed in my dressing gown and I was full on contorting to that tune there um not well not well at all um very small space to try and contort I had to try and not hit the microphone um clearly and heartbreakingly uh me and Shakira were not born of the same stardust um anyway um to get away from my own personal existential crisis of not being even remotely close to uh, the level of goddess that Shakira possesses. Uh, I want to talk about monsters as metaphors. Um, now, I know for a fact that I go on about Buffy the Vampire Slayer far, far, far too much. And I can hear you all from here being like, no, Amy, you never bring it up. Never, not once, not once uh, in life or on this podcast. Um, but... Thank you. You're too kind. Um, but I do. I go on about far too much. Um, but I really credit Buffy as being one of the first narratives um, that made me understand and realise the significance and power of using monsters as metaphors and how it helps you to kind of get through some very tough times when you can use um, a symbol such as a monster as a conduit for something that you're experiencing or feeling. Um, And in that show, of course, a variety of monsters are used to symbolize some of the various challenges, not just of growing up and puberty and going to school, uh, but also just of the various fights that we all have to face in our everyday lives. 
you know, like the very fact that Buffy's high school is located on a literal gateway to hell um, symbolizes a great deal of how I think many teenagers feel about their own school and experiences there. Um, and once I understood that about the show, it really opened my eyes um, and my curiosity to how monsters have symbolized various things throughout literary and cinematic history. Um, for instance, um, and I've been talking about this on our Safe Spaces Discord this past week, uh, because eat the rich, honey, eat the rich, put them in a pan, feed them to the poor, sustenance, honey. Um, there's been much literary analysis done on the fact that vampires, uh, you know, they're kind of stuffy and aristocratic a lot of the time, at least in classical uh, representations of them and they were partly written to symbolize how the rich for generation after generation continue to feed on the poor the parasites that's basically what vampires represent the parasitic nature of uh, the aristocratic rich uh, there's also notoriously a great deal of academia done on the symbolism of zombies, and um, particularly in something like George A. Romero's Living Dead movies, uh, in which hordes of zombies are said to symbolize societal unrest and a culture of mindless subservience where people can no longer think for themselves. Romero infamously denied that there was ever any such subtext to any of his films, but the symbolism throughout them is too rich and too overt to argue against. Um, Night of the Living Dead, for instance, which is credited as being uh, one of the first mainstream representations of the zombie and from which modern zombies have stemmed from, um, has some astonishing commentary about the rising class conflicts um, and still very prevalent racism of the late 60s, uh, while Dawn of the Dead, set completely within a shopping mall full of the shuffling undead, has a lot to say about the rising consumerist and new capitalist dawn of the late 70s in the United States. Um, and it actually made some very prescient statements about that prior to the booming mall culture and mass consumerism of the 80s and uh, early to mid 90s as well. Um, basically, there's a lot to sink your teeth into when it comes to horror. Horror narratives aren't just for scares most of the time, you know? The best horror is meant to be cathartic. It's meant to give you something about society, you know, gives you someone to be like, yes, I can fight against that. It gives you something tangible to fight against, um, uh, which is representative of a societal ill. Um, you know, the best horror make makes profound statements about the monsters within our society and sometimes within ourselves too. So next time you watch a scary movie, have a think about what the monster in it might represent beneath the scares and the costumes. Dig deep and give your brain a wiggle. And now, we're gonna howl at the moon a little more and scratch our hairy heads about the symbolism of the werewolf, which we'll be getting right back to after this song. Um, but this treat of a tune, requested by Lucas M, delves very much into the subject and he says of the song that he loves it because his dad has always played it on guitar and got the rest of the family to sing the howls on it with him. This is Warren Zevon with Werewolves of London.
hear him howling around your kitchen door You better not let him in Little old lady got mutilated late last night Werewolves of London again Gent who ran amok in Kent Lately he's been overheard in Mayfair You better stay away from him He'll rip your lungs out, Jim I'd like to meet his tailor Yeah.
there was the Wombats with Tokyo Vampires and Wolves, a song where bad feelings and memories from the past manifest themselves as creatures of the night. Um, and I really, and that was also, by the way, requested by Rosa. <laughs> Thank you, Rosa. Nearly forgot about you there. Um, and I really want to swing back to the idea of monsters as metaphor too, because werewolves are also very interesting monsters in terms of what they may symbolize um, and how that symbolism has changed over time, I think, you know? Um, there are a fair few werewolf stories, for instance, um, and particularly like contemporary werewolf stories, um, which fixate on the idea of the teenage werewolf and which look at uh, lysanthropy as being, you know, a kind of a metaphor for puberty and this very literal uh, physical change, you know, so films like Ginger Snaps, The Company of Wolves, uh, and even on a ridiculously literal level with Teen Wolf, you know, uh, where puberty and being a werewolf um, are very tightly aligned with one another. Um, in Ginger Snaps, for instance, uh, which in our opinion, by the way, is one of the greatest werewolf movies ever made, um, menstruation manifests as lysanthropy with a teenage girl experiencing the most extreme PMS ever encountered uh, when she's bitten by a werewolf and, uh, you know, a film like Jennifer's Body by Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama. Um, we love Jennifer's Body here. What a queer wonder of a movie. Um, you know, a film like that is very indebted to Ginger Snaps, you know, both of them are about these teenage girls uh, whose kind of coming of age is intertwined with just tearing young men to shreds. <laughs> um, but there's also something very interesting about how werewolves are controlled by the lunar cycle. And naturally that's something that works very well uh, in a movie like Ginger Snaps, you know, when we have like a female werewolf, uh, when we think about the links between moon phases and menstrual cycles, um, and there's been a lot of dissections exploring the meaning of the moon in relation to the werewolf, uh, with some horror and literary academics arguing that such stories are about humans in their most primal natural state, um, that perhaps we're all a type of monster deep down. Um, meanwhile, others have argued that the idea of werewolves being controlled by the moon uh, actually owes a great deal to old-fashioned ideas about mental health. Um, after all, the word lunacy is derived from luna, the moon. Uh, so the suggestion being that the werewolf is a manifestation of mental illness and of the unkempt, wild and prowling victims of mental illness, uh, which is not very nice, really. Uh, for those of us with mental health issues and mental ill health, uh, we can safely say that we're not exactly howling at the moon and bearing our teeth at passers-by just because we have anxiety or extremely low moods. Um, but it's interesting nonetheless, and these depictions reveal a very interesting trajectory in terms of how things like puberty, the human condition, and mental health have been viewed by society throughout history. Um, you know, if you want to understand um, how things like that change throughout history, you know, looking at the history of horror and the history of a particular monster in particular can be a really great way of just kind of delving into that. Um, so I heartily recommend that. Um, and while we're on the topic of werewolves, this is Cat Power with Werewolf. Branches we've gone 
was The Wonderful Dark Hours by Ainsley Farrell. And it was requested by Belle, who says that it's a love song from the perspective of a queer vampire, which we stand for all the obvious reasons. Um, if you're looking for some queer-friendly, trans-inclusive feminist dissections of horror and of monsters, then we heartily recommend the podcast The Faculty of Horror, in which two very sassy, super smart Canadian ap- academic women break down a different horror movie each month by analysing its subtext and core text in regards to uh, what was happening in society um, and within politics when the movie was made. Um... And if you're looking for something to read, um, then uh, Dead Blondes and Bad Mothers, Monstrosity, Patriarchy and the Fear of Female Power by Sadie Doyle um, is an awesome dissection of modern horror movie tropes that I highly, highly recommend. Um, It's amazingly funny, super witty. Um, as well as being just really smart Um, and it's also extremely queer friendly and trans inclusive um, which you don't get much of um, in a lot of stuff about horror um, and particularly uh, some feminist stuff at the moment which I think we're all aware of Um, but that book's super easy to read Um, it makes all that it talks about very accessible and there's a great bit about uh, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park and uh, some of the mother issues <laughs> surrounding that character, which I loved. Loved it. Ate it up with a big old spoon. Uh, but now to the very important stuff. Um, we are here today to ask, what is the Monster Mush. Um, in a couple of our Safe Spaces sessions that we do in our HQ every Saturday at 3pm, uh, we've been doing investigations into what in the actual heck the Monster Mush actually is. Because if you really listen to the song, like really listen to those lyrics, um, it's deeply unclear as to what it is. Uh, it's like a it's like a Tory policy. It's that vague. Um, and we've got a whole wall full of red string and post-it notes and pictures of ghouls with random words and question marks around them in exploration. Oh my goodness, she can't talk. In exploration of this question. Um, because on the surface, the monster mush sounds like it's about a dance. You know, one that all the monsters do together. You know, they did the mash. They did the monster mash. That's what they do. Um, And, you know, within our sessions, we've discussed how the monster mash could be a song like the Macarena or Saturday Night by Wakefield, uh, you know, in which a song is about a dance and the song exists solely to make the listener also do the dance in question. But when we delve deeper into the maddening lyrics of the song, we discovered that it's not chatting much about no dancing. Oh no. Uh, The Monster Mash is actually hiding some wild mysteries within it and acts of pure corruption and conspiracy. Um, And we're going to get into them a little while after we listen to the track. Uh, So this is Bobby Pickett and the Crypt Kickers with the monster mash and my goodness make sure you pay attention to the lyrics because what in the actual heck is going on right here i was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly to my surprise he did the mash he did the monster mash the monster mash it was a graveyard smash he did the mash it caught on in a flash he did the mash he did the monster mash from my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abode To get a jolt from my electrode They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash It caught on in a flash They did the mash 
they did the monster mash. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backfires, baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the match. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It got on in a flash. They played the match. They played the monster match. Out from his coffin, Rack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band And my Monster Mash is the hit of the land For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what is said Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash The Monster Mash And do my graveyard smash Then you can mash You'll catch on in a flash Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash
was Dracula, Drag Eula, uh, by Rob Zombie, Mr. Robert Zombie, to his mother. Um, he likes to uh, dig through the ditches and burn through the witches and slam in the back of his Dracula, um, whatever that means. Um, but you, you do you, Rob. You do you. Um, so, long, so long as you're happy. So long as you're happy. Um, and that track was requested by Raph. Uh, cheers for the great tune, pal. Uh, enjoyed that one. Um, and now we are swinging back to our dissection of the Monster Mash. Because uh, we got to sort this out. <laughs> this has been driving us a little bit mad in the past couple of weeks. Um, the scariest line of the Monster Mash, by the way, uh, is this very troubling couple of lines which state, For you, the living... This mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them Boris sent you. Uh, no thanks. Don't want none of what Boris is selling. Thank you very much. Um, and we were also very troubled by the highly suspect guest list for this party, which includes all the usual monsters, you know, your wolfmans, you've got some random zombies who have gate crashed by the sounds of it. Uh, and for some reason, though, Dracula is here with his son. Uh, now I don't know, you know, I haven't heard about Dracula ever having a son, firstly. Secondly, if you're here to party Dracula, don't be palming your kid off on someone else to look after if you're here just for a kickoff. And he is, that's specifically what Dracula is up to in the Monster Mash. He's here to have a kickoff and he's brought his son along. His son isn't referenced again, besides he's there with his dad getting embarrassed the heck out of by his by his dad basically um and what's really strange about the monster mash is that it's revealed in the middle of the song that dracula who based on these lyrics by the way has arrived still encased in his coffin which is diva behavior if ever i've heard it he turns up to this party with his son in tow for no reason and he comes out of his coffin and quotes He's troubled by just one thing, <laughs> end quote. And he opens the lid to his coffin, shakes his fist and asks, whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? And the band, the Crypt Kickers, tell him, it's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Um, so what we're basically listening to is a song in which Dracula attends a party in which only one song gets played on a maddening loop and he attends this party specifically to attack this song because it's ripped off his song, The Transylvanian Twist. And he's absolutely fuming. He is livid. And the band are just like, nah, it's all good, fam. Um, and they solve it just by making Dracula a member of their band as if that makes everything better. You know, I don't think that's how copyright infringement is solved somehow. Um, and quite frankly... I reckon me boy Drac was still fuming and likely wrecked that party before he left. Um, you know, and he probably had to slam his coffin shut and wheel him out to get rid of him. Um, and I bet his son was just like, oh, do you know what? Just get rid of him. I'm just going to, do you know what? I'll just keep on the couch. Um, and then the sunrise came and Dracula's son probably, you know, went up in a in a blaze and they were like, ah, oh, that's a bit... That's a bit sad, isn't it? <laughs> and the monster mash was probably still getting played in the background. Just ad nauseum. Um, just really confused as well about what Igor is doing at the end of that song, you know? Um, why is everyone getting angry at him as well? Like, he's making, he's making the mash, I think. Is the mash a food? Is the mash a food made out of the monsters playing the monster mash? Who's eating it? What's, I don't know. I have so many questions. I thought we'd gotten down to the mystery and we'd figured it out, but I think we've only unraveled one small segment of it. And um, I think scientists are going to be um, puzzled over this one for many centuries to come. But anyway, that was that was the mash. That was the monster mash. Um, and I think I speak for everyone when I say that uh, we're probably all going to sleep a lot better now for having figured out at least some elements um, of of what's going on in that song. 
Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, this is My Beloved Monster by Eels. Um, and it was requested by Anna.
was Monster by Paramore and my lovely Saturday Safe Spaces pal and co-worker Kay Dale requested that one um, and reminded me that allegedly she asked for it at the start of October and I said no because it was on the soundtrack to Michael Bay's Transformers and I was like hmm that sounds like something that I'd do but um no I, I think you're mistaken Kay I don't think I would have done that I don't think no, that's not me. And before that, we had eels with my beloved monster, which Anna asked for and then felt bad about asking for because it's from one of the Shrek soundtracks and uh, she doesn't want to be known as some Shrek super fan. Um, just own it, girl. You love Shrek. Don't feel no shame about it. Embrace that Shrek love. Live it. Love it. <laughs> Um, and that brings us to the end of our monster episode next week we are doing our horror movie special and uh, for that we want to know what the scariest film you've ever seen is and why Um, or specifically just a scene that really scared the heck out of you Um, I have a few which uh, continue to haunt me to this day Uh, there is specifically a jump scare from uh, The Exorcist 3, which, um, wow, uh, I, it really got under my skin. Uh, I felt the shell shock of that scene for weeks and weeks afterwards, but still now, I can still feel it in my gut, that scene. It is haunting. Um, so yeah, uh, we want that. And we're also looking for your fave songs from horror movies. And these can be theme tunes like the theme from Rosemary's Baby or The Exorcist, both of which continue to haunt me to this day. Um, or they could be just really great songs that have appeared in horror films, uh, such as Nick Cave's Red Right Hand from the Scream movies or the tethered remix of I Got Five On It from Jordan Peele's Us. There was no need for me to sing that right then and I apologise to everyone. Anyway, let me know what you want. Uh, what do you want to hear? What has scared you? Give me your movies, give me your songs and send me your spooks via amy at comicsyouth.co.uk. Until then, remember, everything is not cool, but it can be. Stay safe, stay sassy and my goodness, stay monstrous when you need to, honey. This is Bark at the Moon by Ozzy Osbourne and it was requested by Tom. And this is Amy Roberts signing off until next time. Awoo! Thank you.